ladies and gentlemen, we're back. It's the Lost Treasures podcast. I'm John Scheel with my colleague Adam Means, and we are here today with a family member, full disclosure, uh, my <laughs> Uncle Greg. It's Greg Hand, ladies and gentlemen. He's the, well, he's the local Cincinnati Curiosities guy, but for 36 years he was with University of Cincinnati, providing them with communications and public relations counsel. He likes to call himself the voice of doom. <laughs> Although maybe not so much the voice of doom anymore, but we're so happy to have him and we're going to be talking about a bunch of stuff today. So we're happy to have you as well. And Uncle Greg, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure. So gentlemen, we were talking last time about our forays into the world of metal detecting and finding some things out there in Eden Park. And Greg, you've got just a ton of stories to talk about lost things and hidden treasures that are in the greater Cincinnati area. But what do you know about Eden Park and effluent pipe hill? On, uh, <laughs> Give it to him, Greg. Yeah, the um, um, a lot of my blog is based on uh, falling into a rabbit hole. And so uh, I came across a, um, a minor notation um, in some newspaper about um, somebody finding uh, buried treasure. Somewhere in somewhere in Cincinnati, nice. and uh, that led to um, weeks of going through old documents, old uh, old books, um, that sort of thing, trying to find out you know, just just what kind of buried treasure are we talking about, and discovered that there were lots of uh, themes um, for buried treasure in Cincinnati. So uh, there's a whole raft of stories about. Um, um, having to do with the Confederates in Boone County. Mm-hmm. So um, there, there was actually a very small Civil War battle uh, fought um, kind of uh, southwest of uh, Florence Mall. Uh, you know, that's as close as the Civil War got to Cincinnati. But there are all these stories about uh, the Confederates fleeing that battle with the payroll for the Confederate troops, and uh, it was never seen again, and where did they bury it, and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Another Civil War uh, episode would have been uh, Morgan's Raiders uh, coming uh, from Kentucky into Indiana, yep. riding across uh, uh, the southern part of Ohio, and all these rumors about uh, they were carrying uh, they were carrying money to spend on Confederate sympathizers in in Ohio, and they must have buried it uh, someplace. The um, uh, a, th- a third strain that, that pops up quite frequently is counterfeiters. Uh, oh, yeah. um, counterfeiting was uh, uh, incredibly popular uh, in the Cincinnati area at a time when the United States government was not issuing money. Um, money was issued by local banks, and so Pretty much every bank in Cincinnati had its own bank notes and of very varying degrees of security, and so people were copying them and that. Well, the, uh, the counterfeiters would get uh, real coinage and have to do something with it, and so uh, there are lots of stories about uh, Cincinnati counterfeiters burying their money south of Newport, south of Covington. So there's these... Uh, strands of buried treasure all over the area. Nice. Adam, nice. we saw some of the um, 
printed money in the Cincinnati Museum Center, yep. and we saw a little blurb about that, how the local banks were issuing uh, their own paper money. Yeah. And then just to throw in uh, something else that I've, I've personally seen, so St. X High School has in their archives uh, payments for tuition in Confederate dollars from students who were across the Kentucky side of the river who crossed over. And, of course, this was when the high school was right downtown right. on Sycamore Street. Yep. So You told me that when we were at the, the museum that day. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Pretty incredible. So Eden Park specifically – um, I've never heard of if effluent, uh, <laughs> the, the, the street <laughs> at the end of the effluent pipe. Tell us more about that. Okay. So, uh, so, uh, it was, uh, it was a long time. I mean, after 1908 mm-hmm. before, uh, the city of Cincinnati filtered the water that it got out of the Ohio river. And so, so from, way back in the beginning, 1810, 1820, that sort of thing, uh, there were mechanisms in place to pump a lot of water out of the Ohio River, put it in a reservoir someplace, and then distribute it uh, around the city. One of the old city directories, in fact, uh, makes a a mention and says, you know, the the water supply here isn't that bad as long as you uh, let it sit so the sediment filters out, oh you know, yeah. be, before mm-hmm. you drink it. <laughs> well, uh, one of the uh, reservoirs uh, was up in Eden Park, with uh, Mirror Lake, which is now uh, really just a very shallow mm-hmm. uh, sort of thing. Used to be a quite deep uh, reservoir, and um, deep enough that um, every once in a while they would clean it and they would find bodies. Uh, wow. And, and that sort of thing. And so um, the water would then come down the hill from the Eden Park Reservoir uh, to Gilbert Avenue and across uh, Gilbert Avenue to Redding and in, into town. And so that was the effluent pipe. That was the, the pipe out of the reservoir. And um, it, it came down and hit the, uh, the pumping station, which is now called Elsinore Tower. Gotcha. Uh, back then, back then you had... Um, water commissioners who actually went to the theater to see Shakespeare. And so uh, very impressed by uh, production of Hamlet uh, at some point in the 1800s, the Cincinnati Water Commissioner built the uh, the pumping station to look like uh, Elsinore Castle in, in Hamlet. Gotcha. And and as the, uh, as the water came down the hill and hit that pumping station and went through the pipe, the road next to it was called Effluent Pipe. Pipe Road is is now called uh, Elsinore Court or Elsinore Lane or something like that, but somewhere along the line it got uh, there's this mysterious story about about a river pirate and there there certainly were river pirates there there's no question that there were it's very difficult to find reference to a river pirate near Cincinnati mm-hmm. uh, river river pirates. Um, being averse to being captured uh, tended to practice their piracy in places where there weren't a lot of people. So, yeah, yeah. so, so uh, the, where you would worry about being stopped by river pirates was down by Evansville or on your way to Cairo or, or, or something like that. Um, but there was, this, uh, there was this 
story uh, that popped up occasionally without a lot of documentation that there was a river pirate who had a bunch of um, of booty and uh, <laughs> and stashed it someplace in uh, in Eden Park. Pretty cool. That's right along the lines of what we were talking about last time with this uh, this idea that Fat Nick, a descendant yeah. of a Caribbean pirate, was roaming the the waterways of early American life and um, needed a place to hide his treasure. So that's uh, that sounds really interesting. So how many people do you think have looked for this over the years? The um, every every once in a while. Uh, there'd be a rash of uh, of rumors going around, um, and 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 people would just show up and start start digging. And so, uh, for instance, um, uh, over in um, Ludlow Bromley, that area of of, of Kentucky, uh, the local sheriff had to come out and just patrol the riverbank because. Um, People were coming over from Cincinnati. They were coming downriver from Covington and Newport, just digging craters all over the riverbank oh near Ludlow Bromley. On Did this rumor, on this rumor that uh, that the uh, I think in that case the, the rumor was that uh, that uh, some Union troops had uh, had gone over to Kentucky and put uh, a Union payroll. Uh, in the ground someplace. Uh, another one where it popped up was in the construction of um, uh, the YMCA. Oh, wow. On Central Parkway, which at that time was uh, the YMCA on um, the canal, of course. Um, somebody found a, a clay pot with a couple thousand silver dollars in it. And so pretty soon... The canal bank is filled with people digging, Looking digging things it. up, and so uh, with Eden Park, uh, a similar thing happened. Um, I'd have to have to go look up the date again, but uh, a, a guy found um, uh, a note, a very cryptic note in some kind of code, and um, I believe he was a, a sort of like a night watchman for the park. Mm-hmm. And um, and decided that it gave the location uh, of a treasure uh, in the park, and this wouldn't be the first time that a bunch of people showed up in, uh, I think, what was then still called the Garden of Eden before yeah. it, before it was actually a park. You're right, and just started digging up Nicholas Longworth's um, uh, grape yard, yeah. vineyards up mm-hmm. there, <laughs> looking for treasure and. Uh, uh, the note was was printed in the newspaper. A lot of uh, people came up with interpretations, none of which really panned out. And uh, uh, but a lot of uh, what would you call it agricultural vandalism took place. Of course, <laughs> yeah. Oh, they were very adamant about not messing up the park when we were yeah. know, doing our thing. Out, well, I was doing my thing out there, just looking for stuff. Um, I had a question for you, mm-hmm. Greg. What do you think is you know out of the stories you've told us so far, and maybe you have other ones. What do you think is the most interesting story to yourself? Oh my goodness, <laughs> that that is such a tough one to answer because <laughs> the uh, one of the things I have learned mm-hmm. uh, in 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 my years of researching Cincinnati history is is uh, you will come across 
uh, a whole variety of theories. And the one that is so outlandish that it couldn't possibly be true is usually the one that turns out to be true. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. And so, and so the uh, um, the the uh, most of the most of the ones um, that involve um, either the Union or Confederate armies, I've put in a category that I call the Indian maiden stories. Gotcha. What I, what I have learned is if you run across. Uh, a story about how something came to be and there's an Indian maiden involved, mm-hmm. it's false. Oh, I got gotcha. you. Okay, you nice. Know, mm-hmm. You know, the, the brave was waiting here for the Indian maiden to yeah. show up and yeah. a tiger ate him. And, and that's why they call this, you know, no, no, no. Uh, and and uh, the sense I get is that anything involving whatever side in the, uh, in, in the Civil War is, is probably just a rumor. Mm-hmm. But th- this this whole thing about river pirates is very intriguing yeah. because it's not a common explanation for things. And who doesn't like pirate treasure? Who right? doesn't <laughs> like pirate treasure? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Me and John always go back to Goonies, you know? Goonies, yeah, you and, know? and it's, one, it's, one, it. it's one of those things where uh, if, you, um, uh, if, if you are looking for something in Cincinnati history and it pops up a lot and a lot and a lot, uh, you you kind of take it with a grain of salt, but if something shows up and and you think I haven't heard of this one before, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, you get really suspicious, especially if there's very little documentation. Yeah, mm-hmm. I noticed when I would lo- start looking at the stories down in Cincinnati, um, I would read different stories, but there was like a new piece of information here, a new piece of information here, and so I kind of you know I. I like I told you, I have a big file of stuff, too. And so I just would keep those stories, but highlight the ports that I thought yep. were super important. And again, common themes kept popping up all the time, and it would point me back to Eden Park. But that, that's actually an excellent point on um, a practice that uh, researchers need to follow when they're looking into Cincinnati history. One of the things I learned... Um, um, before I actually started the, the, uh, the blog, um, my mentor in all of this was a guy named Kevin Grace, who was the archivist for the University of Cincinnati. Nice. And Kevin and I worked on um, three books before I left UC. One of the things uh, Kevin taught me is when you found something, it doesn't mean that you found something. You're 100% right. <laughs> yeah. If right. you found something, you've got to keep digging because you mm-hmm. never know what you're going to run into. So keep those pieces, and eventually the mosaic starts filling out. You're exactly it's like, right. It's like uh, there's a thousand-piece puzzle, and you've got 23 pieces. Mm-hmm. That's a good way to look at it, too. You know. I, I just noticed when I would you know, start looking around, whether it be on the Internet or books, there'd be something else that I would pick up from a different story, and I'd just you know, kind of keep compiling those. Um, I had another question for you, mm-hmm. too. Have you ever gone out and looked for anything? <laughs> what I go out to look for uh, <laughs> is fossils. <laughs> there you go. Yep. <laughs> nice. And so, nice. And so uh, I've got a, uh, um, uh, a familiarity with the topography yeah. uh, of the Cincinnati region, but I'm looking for something entirely different. <laughs> and uh, right. I'm, I'm dangerous... Uh, I'm dangerous driving on the expressways as I pay us road cuts. My my wife is always going, 
There's bad collecting there. Keep your eyes on. <laughs> <laughs> You're awesome. not going to find a trilobite up there. Keep your eyes on on the road. Uh, but no, I have not gone out. Uh, uh, looking specifically for treasure. I had to ask because I yeah. saw your stories. So yeah. it's like, well, you got to ask them, you know. No, so I understand. And if, if I could jump in, I want to know, first of all, since Adam and I have been talking and I've been reading all of your blogs, I, I'm seeing a wealth of stories of Cincinnati, lost treasures, hidden treasures, folks finding stuff. But I'm wondering, how do we compare to other cities? Are we... Wow. Um, oh. Yeah, that's good a good question. question. Good question. The um, um, it's 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 difficult to tell uh, reading the blog piece by piece by piece. But there there's actually a thesis behind behind the blog, and um, the the thesis is that um, Cincinnatians have no idea about the city's past. They think they do. Um, but we tell ourselves a myth, and that myth involves uh, we're the first professional baseball team, and uh, Ruth Lyons, uh, uh, you know, did her TV show here, and Grater's Ice Cream, and Skyline Chili, and, you know, and, and this is what the city is, is all about. You know, if you look up... Um, and, of you, course, you know, now we have such a wonderful Reds team and Joe Burrow and oh, yeah. number one MLS <laughs> yep. soccer team. But all that's that about count. five minutes long, the memory right. there. And, and what, what people really don't, don't realize is just how bizarre this city was before... The, the, the date I usually pick is 1920. Before 1920, this city was absolutely, completely, entirely different. We had a thriving red light district. We had uh, open gambling. The entire city government was totally corrupt, absolutely, absolutely corrupt. We had had, uh, on-stage nudity for 50 years uh, in Cincinnati. We had... uh, um, open uh, abortion clinics um, in the city. It, it was just a, an extremely different city. Now, to get to your question about how do we compare it to other cities, a lot of that had to do with the fact that we were a river city. Mm-hmm. Uh, because being a river city meant that certain things were happening. In fact, uh, when the Cincinnati Reds were negotiating to join the National League. The National League uh, would not allow uh, Cincinnati to join um, the National League because it was a river city. And so uh, the, the Reds joined uh, the American Association, which was put together of river cities. So Pittsburgh, St. Louis, uh, all those cities uh, formed their own league uh, because uh, the, the National League had this sense that river cities were just kind of like cesspools. <laughs> and in many ways, they were. So, uh, yes, uh, Cincinnati was totally bizarre, but Cincinnati was totally bizarre in company with a lot of inland river cities. That's amazing. Super interesting. Yeah. I would have not known that. No. Not at all. The things that I think about... Um, obviously my interests lie with music, but that Stephen Foster lived in a boarding house and 
wrote some of his big things and then is called the father of American uh, music because he was the first person to exploit the copyright system to make money publishing music uh, in the United States. But he wrote some of his big hits, if you will, uh, while he lived and worked in Cincinnati. But beyond that, you know, I, obviously we hear about traffic on the river, but they don't teach you any of this in schools. Well, to, to go to Stephen Foster and his uh, exploitation of the copyright system, remember, he was essentially stealing <laughs> the, the, the themes and, and, in some cases, the lyrics and the tunes from the roustabouts who worked on, on the riverboats. And, in fact, um, my blog post for this week to do a little commercial <laughs> for yeah, Cincinnati definitely. Curiosities definitely. is about a Cincinnati reporter by the name of Lafcadio Hearn who um, wrote a very lengthy piece for the Cincinnati Commercial that I believe indicates that he found uh, the predecessor of the blues uh, in Cincinnati in 1876. Wow. Um, listening to the music being performed by the porters and stevedores and roustabouts uh, at these uh, African-American uh, saloons uh, on the east side of, of Cincinnati. That's just incredible. I know. So I do know that the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame has a class that they occasionally will teach about King Records, and mm -hmm. they have often said in that, in that class that Cincinnati has the most legitimate claim to being the birthplace of rock and roll because of the oh, confluence yeah, yeah. of influences. The hillbilly music, which turned into yep. bluegrass, and then, of course, with Hank Williams writing music and father of country music, recording his hits in Cincinnati, and then eventually what became uh, King Records, uh, bringing James Brown up here uh, from from Augusta, and all of the things that, that the musical crossroads here was, even though my friend Gary Burbank will say, oh, Memphis is, <laughs> Memphis is the real birth of everything, but I, I think there's real truth to the fact that because we were that crossroads, uh, created new things. So that's really fascinating. That's another lost treasure that we haven't yeah, right. really talked about. <laughs> I think um, one thing I told John probably before, too, was that I don't think people really know where they live. Oh, yeah, and yeah. so that's a lot of, like, yep. first book I, I bought was, uh, I think it was 1794 or something, Cincinnati, and kind of went through it. So I learned a lot of the background um, just about Eden Park from that, the Longworth family. And so we get distracted with all these things during the day, our phones, TV. You really have to dig into the history to know where you live. And so I, that was one thing that I kind of used as like a little theory was we really don't know a lot about our past. And so you really have to look for that. Yeah, in fact, uh, Longworth, um, Longworth is uh, kind of a doorway into understanding why there are so many um, legends about buried treasure in town. Uh, Longworth was an attorney. Uh, he worked, uh, he, he apprenticed with a guy named Jacob Burnett, uh, who, uh, Burnett Woods, <laughs> is from his family. Um, but Longworth one day um, was uh, collecting his fee um, 
And uh, lawyers back then, just like today, have trouble getting people to pay their damn bills. John, but, they ever. John. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, this uh, this guy says, uh, I, I don't have any money, but I've got uh, I've got two copper stills, and uh, and he says I was going to start a distillery, but you you can have the stills, and, and so Longworth uh, got the stills. He sold them. Another guy uh, said, I don't have the money, but I've got this lot out by the Mill Creek. And, you know, he took the land. Well, it got to the point where Nicholas Longworth was the largest landowner in Cincinnati. Wow. And one of the reasons you, um, you owned land is nobody trusted the banks. Absolutely nobody trusted the banks. It wasn't, it wasn't so much that they were, they were going to get robbed or mm-hmm. anything, although that did happen. Um, nobody trusted the banks because they went bankrupt. Every uh, every ten years or so, there was a financial crisis because we didn't have anything like the Federal Reserve System. And so, um, uh, if you go back and look at strange things that happened in Cincinnati history, they're all very much tied to what uh, they didn't call them depressions or recessions at the time. They called them panics. And so, uh, for example, the University of Cincinnati was founded in 1819. By nineteen or by eighteen twenty-five, it was bankrupt. Wow! Because there was a panic in eighteen twenty, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so uh, uh, everybody who had donated uh, to to start the University of Cincinnati gave their donation in the form of land, and those parcels of land were uh, uh, worth nothing. Just a couple of years later, and so you wouldn't put money in uh, in a bank. Uh, you would try to put it in land, but if you had a bunch of money with questionable origin, instead of putting it in a bank or buying a huge piece of property with people asking questions, where'd you get the money to buy that property? You'd bury it. Yep. There you go. <laughs> Makes so, sense. So your blog is full of uh, of stories of, of buried things, a woman finding a copper kettle with yep. pieces in it and... How many stories do you think that you've uncovered? It rough total. Uh, I actually, um, as I said, um, I go into a rabbit hole and I'll I'll collect enough to get a blog. Po- blog post is about a thousand words, and so um, I ran into I think four or five examples of of buried treasure, and that's enough to do a blog post. And after I did that. I kept running into more examples, so I had to do part two. Right. Of, of, uh, those were both good, Greg. Yeah. I both those. That was a lot. I couldn't even pick one. To, I was like, I don't know what to ask. And, them, so. uh, and the, uh, uh, you know, after a while, you, you, want, you only want the ones that actually have a story. Just the fact that somebody found something with no answers about where it came from. And, that. and so if you figure, I've published... 10 stories, there's probably 50 out there Wow, um, that, I, that I hadn't touched simply nice. because they didn't have enough detail on Right, right. So it's a very common theme. That's just amazing. Now, if we bring that up to the modern era and we look at all of the development that's happened in Cincinnati and, and on the Longworth properties and all around Eden Park, I mean, it's it's really hemmed in by a fully thriving city. So 
But there are these sections that maybe haven't been developed. Certainly the, the park proper hasn't been developed since, what, the 1850s? Yep. Um, mm-hmm. How... how what are the, what do you think the chances are that there are things that are out there that have not been found? Oh, you know, um, the the distinction that you're making may have some validity, but it uh, but it, then again, it may not. Um, Bob Genheimer um, down at the uh, museum center has published a number of papers on excavations going on in the West End, which was totally built up, absolutely totally built up, and. Uh, uh, Bob and his, his crew from uh, from the museum center went out and were excavating uh, privy vaults, and uh, the stuff that you find in in those is just absolutely incredible. Everything from from um, gold to firearms to oh, he's got one paper that uh, that was uh, I think there were fifty cats oh found <laughs> found in a privy vault and a question about why why did somebody kill a bunch of cats and yeah. throw them so the fact that something is undeveloped doesn't necessarily mean there's going to be better hunting than someplace that is developed gotcha, because, gotcha. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there's a, a wonderful book um, came out in 1950 called the serene cincinnatians a guy named harlow uh, wrote the book and he describes uh, shops on fourth street um, that have tombstones in the basement oh because um, essentially they were just built on top of a graveyard and and they had to move the tombstones when they built the building to put the shop in. So we just kept the tombstones down, oh in, my. <laughs> down in the basement. And so uh, that's another uh, actually um, – reflection of what's underground around here because almost every time you start a development in Cincinnati you're going to find uh, a previously unknown graveyard mm-hmm. wow. that was part of when we when I started working with uh, Gray and Pape um, yeah. that's a good majority of what they do they find underground burials yeah their stories about the uh, oh. Washington Park oh I bet are incredible but uh, but yeah if you're if you're ever up um, uh, on Madison Road I think it's uh, Dana that crosses Madison and turns into observatory. There's this little triangular park up there in, in Hyde Park. That was a burial ground. Wow. And it's now a city park. Yeah. They did nothing uh, to take anything out of there when they turned it from a graveyard into a park. So all burials are still there. Wow. That's where Dana meets... Madison, Madison wrote, yeah. Oh, my wow. gosh, I know exactly where you mean. <laughs> did yeah. we go over there? What park did we go to, John? Was that where that overlook was? That wasn't Hyde Park? Um, we went to Alt Park, Alt actually. Park. Yeah, gotcha. gotcha. We, yeah, at the other end of observatory. Yeah. Uh, but the um, uh, my kids went to uh, Sands Montessori when it was still in the West End. And it's now, that the building is now condos, I think. But uh, I found a story that uh, when they were building that school building, uh, as a public school building in the early 1900s, um, they found a graveyard that dated back to the 1830s, 1840s, wow. something like that, uh, with with bones still there. So. Wow. So did they move anything, or did they just... They moved enough to get the building built, and the rest of it is still under the playground. Wow. Oh, my gosh. The... the um, um, 
I, I was corresponding last week with a guy who wanted to nail down the specific location, but uh, there's a parking garage uh, near the College of Mount St. Joseph, or the University of Mount St. Joseph now, uh, over in Delhi that was built on top of a graveyard. Incredible. Wow. And incredible. it probably happens more than we even know, honestly. Yeah. And so if you can hide a graveyard, <laughs> you can certainly hide a copper pot full of coins. Very true. Sure. <laughs> Very true. Yeah, that's true. Incredible. Well, I want to pause here because I think we need to do some uh, we need to do some advertising and those kinds of things to take care of business. But we'll pause and we'll be right back with Greg Hand and Adam Means. And I'm John Scheel. This is the Lost Treasures Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, we're back. We're back with Greg Hand and Adam Means. I'm John Scheel, and we've been talking about Cincinnati Curiosities, and that's Greg's blog and all the things that uh, Cincinnati has. I wanted to start off where kind of where we left off, uh, talking about some of the things that we've found and and some of the things that are make up part of Cincinnati's history. Um, Greg, when you were doing your research into what you mentioned there's over 50 stories of lost treasures that haven't been found. Uh, have you brought these things to, uh, to somebody like Gray and Pape or the no, archaeologists? No. no, the, um, I'm, 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 I'm an old, an old journalist and, uh, and an old, uh, storyteller. And, uh, and so for me, the story is more important than the facts in, in many cases. John's told me that like 10 times. The story is the most important part, which I totally get too. I totally get it. So once I'm I've so got so glad you said that. Yeah, once I've got a good story to tell, uh, you know, I'm too lazy to go out and pick up a shovel. <laughs> I'm going to take you out sometime. Right? I mean, this is just perfect because I really have told him that many times. All and, the time, yeah. <laughs> and, and yet here we are, we're, we're juggling the story. We're telling the story on this very podcast but then we are talking to archaeologists, and I think historical archaeology is really important. What you were saying about all the grave sites and the things that make up the the history that are buried right there in the ground, but obviously progress comes along, and you need to build a building. So these folks from Gray and Pape and others like them, they go out there and they do a survey, find out what they can find out, move some bones, uh, move headstones, and then give the all clear and... Game on. On to the next thing. They're building the building. So, but in some places like England, where they, they actually found uh, King Richard's remains under a car park. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. uh, but who knows? Maybe in another hundred years, they'll be finding a, a buried treasure and a set of bones under what's been a building for the past. I, th I think years. a lot of, um, you know, like I was saying earlier about our past, you just got to kind of go into the ground a little bit. And you're going to uncover quite a bit, but, you know, a lot of the research you have to do is just reading old books. We have so many things that we do in a day, and you just got to sit down and read or, you know, look online, too. There's a lot of stuff you can find. Yeah. Yeah, the, um, um, the use of archaeologists today um, is a real change from uh, the way things used to be done in the past is 
uh, there were no requirements to do anything to preserve anything that you found for many, 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 many years. And um, there is a, um, uh, a, a booklet that's been digitized by the Cincinnati Public Library about um, the neighborhood in back of St. Teresa Church in Price Hill. Um, it's uh, Overlook Avenue, uh, runs alongside uh, over to uh, 8th Street there, and there's these nice little uh, houses from the 1920s. There was a huge Indian mound at the intersection of Overlook and Rapid Run, and this booklet basically says, too bad, <laughs> we're going to demolish this Indian mound and put our housing development in, and that, that was the way things were done. Right. You know, we talked uh, with Dr. Cook from Ohio State University that uh, there was an Indian mound uh, on the, the site of the Turpin Farm, and it was excavated, in fact, excavated by Harvard in the 1850s and then yep. University of Cincinnati in the 1950s, and they just basically dug the entire mound out, and it's flat land now. There's no, no mound there now. No. Mm-hmm. But he did say there's evidence of multiple villages and... And this mound and, and they're always finding stuff too yeah when we were out there they found quite a few things that we got to look at but i think one of the things that's magic about that site is that he's it's it's preserved and it's green space now yes. and so no one can can build anything further so they're they're actually finding corn cobs and uh things that weren't excavated previously uh or remnants of fires that they can carbon date that they weren't doing previously so the science of it is is fascinating, and yep. I know we'll we'll get into that. But it is pretty amazing that Cincinnati just has this rich history of just layer upon layer of stuff. And for a time, nobody was really caring much about anything. They just built on, and here we are. Mm-hmm. So yeah, what's the um, how many horror movies are built on the premise of? Don't build your house on an Indian burial ground. A lot of them. <laughs> and, and downtown Cincinnati is essentially built on an Indian burial ground. You know, the, the map in Daniel Drake's uh, 1815 um, picture of Cincinnati was the name of the book that he uh, published, shows uh, the earthworks in downtown Cincinnati. There was a huge circle that encompassed what is today Fountain Square. There was this long fortification out on the east side of town, we still have a street called Mound Street, and Mound Street was called a Mound Street because there was a mound mm-hmm. on it, and um, uh, they demolished that mound uh, in the 1840s to uh, extend Fifth Street out into the into the West End, and uh, in the course of doing so, they found uh, the Cincinnati Tablet, which is. Um, the, I think the original is at the Museum Center, and the, uh, there's a, a copy at the Art Museum. But uh, this, this tablet has been, um, has been described as um, everything from... My, my favorite theory is that it's a tattoo flash, that, that you would have inked the, the design and pressed it on the skin and then... Oh, wow. And then put the design on the skin... Uh, but there are some new age um, devotees who say that this is in fact the calendar uh, for the cycles of the universe. Oh wow! You know, mm-hmm. uh, theories uh, abound on on that sort of thing. Interesting. There's this um, wonderful book. I think it's out of print now by a guy named Frederick Starr, 
that was actually published by the Cincinnati um, Museum called um, something like Prehistoric Cultures in Hamilton County. Mm-hmm. And uh, this book lists every single prehistoric site known in the 1950s wow. um, in Cincinnati, most of which have since been demolished. Um, and um, when I was a reporter back in the 70s, uh, developers hated me because uh, they... <laughs> in their they, business, Greg? <laughs> yeah, they, they, they would name, you know, uh, the one memorable case was uh, they announced that they were doing a development at the corner of um, Winton Road and Kemper Road in Forest Park. And I went to my Frederick Starr book and went, ah, there was a, an Indian village at that thing, and they're going to bulldoze it. To put in, I, I think it's now in Aldi's, but it, it used to be something else. And so the developer was like, why in that? Did, did they have to stop? And no, no. They, they just, this, this was before those regulations came in place. Wow. So it was only the court of popular opinion that, that was saying, maybe you ought to hold up and let somebody, and the hell with that. They went out the next day and made sure it was bulldozed. Oh, my. That's wow. amazing. I'm sure this is not the only place that that's happened to. Right. You know? Yeah. And so it's one of the reasons why they now have these these regulations that if you find something, stop work, get somebody in there, have it done right. Right. That's kind of gray and paper. You know, a couple yeah. of their employees were telling us like, as soon as they you know encounter a body or something, they got to stop, go through the process. And again, I'm sure it's a lot longer than what they were telling us, but it seems like a very common thing of finding burials for them. Yeah. The um, um, I was based in an office in Cheviot when I was a reporter was for the Western Hills Press. And uh, there's now a huge parking lot uh, off of Harrison Avenue uh, in Cheviot. But that it used to be a, a graveyard. There were graveyards on both sides of wow. Harrison. And so uh, they were grading uh, the graveyard. And all they were coming across was discolored earth. So you would know that you hit a burial mm. because it was a little darker than, mm. than the clay over here. Mm-hmm. And then it went, dink. <laughs> and I got a call uh, f- from somebody in a bar mm-hmm. <laughs> on, on Harrison Avenue. He says, get down here. <laughs> and ran down, and they had found somebody buried in lead. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Just what? made a coffin out of sheets of lead. And what? so the skeleton was in there, the, the bulldozer had just, just kind of shaved off part of the top of the lead coffin, and you, you could see the skull, uh, skeleton, and it was filled with water. Oh, yeah. Uh, but uh, uh, but the, the lead coffin was, was largely intact. All the other ones that had disappeared were wood coffins. And so they actually had to get this out, dig a grave over at the other graveyard, mm-hmm which I think was interesting because I believe it was two different religious con- congregations. So I'm not sure how they felt about a Baptist being buried in the oh Methodist. Boy. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh-oh. You know, there goes My the neighborhood. My dad was a Baptist minister, so I yeah, know. <laughs> there goes the neighborhood, that sort of thing. But, yeah, you know, uh, rare occasions, but that, that still happens. In That's super unique, that story. Yeah. A lead coffin. Wow. wow. They just found one of those uh, under the Louvre, not the Louvre, uh, Notre Dame. Notre Dame. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Pretty Fascinating cool. stuff. Pretty cool. 
uh, that was during 2020, and of course everybody was saying, don't open it. <laughs> this year's gotten <laughs> bad enough. You don't want to let Dracula closed. out this year. <laughs> That's right. So. Anyway, well, tell us more about um, what you're working on now. I know that you've got stand-up history. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Tell us about some of your, your fun projects that you're Yeah, the um, uh, stand-up history is is a hoot. The um, There is a rotating cast of about 15 people um, who are interested in different aspects of Cincinnati history. So um, um, Dan Wellert um, does food, and so Dan has written books on Cincinnati chili, on Geta, on uh, candy manufacturers in Cincinnati, um, on Cincinnati wine, and so he's, he's a regular. Uh, Ann Senefeld um, runs a business um, called Digging Cincinnati History, and what she will do is write the biography of your house. Wow. Um, you, oh, that's cool. Yeah, you, um, you know, give her the address, and she will tell you when the house was built, who lived there, um, what they did. The, uh, um, she, she, uh, the first talk I saw her give, she actually did the house at the top of my street. My, my, my street used to be a farm, and the big house at the top of the street was the farmhouse. And she had it down to, uh, she found out that one of the sons in the family was having an affair with the maid, and the maid oh, no. <laughs> sued because of uh, paternity. And, you know, and so she, do, she does fascinating uh, histories of buildings. Uh, Molly Wellman. Uh, who's one of the founders of stand-up history, uh, surprisingly does lots of things involving alcohol uh, <laughs> in Cincinnati. Um, and um, the uh, Dean Regis from the observatory shows up uh, to, uh, to do offbeat uh, things on astronomy and scientific uh, history. Um, and so uh, it's, it's just a ball. Uh, people in bars are very receptive uh, to history presentations we've discovered. <laughs> That's awesome. It really is. It excellent. is. It's really cool. Yeah. Where's your next event? Uh, we've, we've got a, a residency at Muse Cafe in Westwood. And so the third Wednesday of every month, uh, we have four or five uh, people go out to Muse. So our next next one coming up is July 19th, Wednesday, nice. July 19th. Nice. Excellent. Excellent. The um, I've got um, two books in the works. Um, uh, Kevin Grace, who I've mentioned before, uh, the former University of Cincinnati archivist, and I are working on uh, the history of Vine Street, just the entire street nice. from the river out to the Wyoming border um, and uh, the theaters of Vine Street. You know, um, um, we are making a strong case that striptease was invented in Cincinnati oh, nice. in around 1904 mm -hmm. uh, in a theater uh, on, on Vine Street. Wow. And Interesting. So Another lost treasure of Cincinnati. Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> That sort of thing, and then uh, then the other uh, the other book is still in the planning stages, but uh, we're trying to get a comprehensive uh, uh, picture of Jim Tarbell. Oh man, Jim Tarbell! What a what a legend that guy is. Yeah, and so uh, just so many 
ways that he has impacted Cincinnati from the Ludlow Garage to Grammers to um, Arnold's to uh, uh, the Oddball to baseball on Broadway. Uh, you know, he's uh, Mr. Cincinnati, obviously. So. Yeah, pretty cool. And modern, modern legend, truly. So, Adam, w- anything else you want to ask Greg before we? I mean, break? I would like to ask Greg if he'd like to come back on the show again, because <laughs> <laughs> he's full of information. So I would love it if you came back on, Greg. I'm, I'm retired now, so I'm very flexible. Nice, nice. <laughs> I thought it was great. So excellent. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you've been listening to another episode of the Lost Treasures podcast, where we are uncovering lost treasures, and they are some. Su- prizes we've, that we've found <laughs> definitely as we as we get into this so thanks very much for tuning in and tune in next time to the lost treasures podcast <laughs>